0: My name is Catherine Ann Byam, and I'm the host of Where Ideas Launch, the podcast for the sustainable innovator. COP26 is a moment in time that we will remember as either the time that we turned the world around for the good, or the moment, the last chance that we had to make a difference. COP26 has four goals secure global net zero by mid century and keep 1.5 degrees within reach, adapt to protect communities and natural habitats, mobilize finance, and work together to deliver. Let's see what the initiatives of COP26 will have in store for all of us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's show. This is The Sustainability Puzzle, and my guest is Alice Schmidt. We are streaming live for the Courageous Career Club, and we're also recording this for my podcast, Where Ideas Launch, the podcast for the sustainable innovator. So thank you all for joining us. And we're going to get into this session. So let me introduce a bit about Alice. Alice is a, an advisor and an advocate and an author on global sustainability and social transformation. And she's passionate about gathering, collating, and distilling deep insights on global systemic challenges and solutions regarding environmental and economic sustainability as well as social justice. So she has a big agenda. And in her latest book, The Sustainability Puzzle, which she co-authored together with her her friend, Claudia Winkler. She discusses how systems thinking, circularity and climate action, as well as social transformation, can improve health, wealth and well-being for all. And this is a a big challenge. We've we've now just come out of COP26 and we've had all of these challenges going back and forth on, on those countries that are struggling. And it's it's really interesting what you're doing. So Alice, welcome. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Hi, Catherine. Really good to speak to you today. Yes. And I wanted to start by sort of acknowledging the breadth and depth of your experiences across cultures and across geographies. And having started your academic life in business and communication studies, what first prompted your interest in social impact work? First of all, of all the things that you're interested in
1: yeah so a great question let me go really far back because it's actually a fact that the first you know children are always asked what they want to become right when they grow up and for me what i said i want to become an author and i want to write a book that saves the world and i'm clearly not saying i've reached that but just this is to demonstrate that this has been within me um so you know as a child i found it clubs to save the environment and to protect the environment and to help sort of social disadvantaged people. And, um, you know, I was, I was part of the scouts movement. And I do think now with hindsight that this kind of influenced my values and my thinking is sort of, you know, this cherishing nature and all of that and taking responsibility for your action but professionally um it came um when i was working um with coca-cola and also henkel another fast-moving consumer goods company um at the time based in vienna but focusing on the central and eastern european market and it was a long time ago that was about 20 years ago i just come out of university finished my business degree and um i remember thinking when i worked at coke you know kind of a dream for a lot of young marketers thinking do i really want to focus on helping one company sell more of an unhealthy carbonated soft drink um or would i rather use this energy my skills to sell something that you know is actually uh, perhaps um you know saving the world i had a similar experience with uh, the launch of a dishwashing detergent uh, in Central Eastern Europe, which at the time was quite poor, and a lot of people didn't even have enough money to buy, uh, you know, sort of detergent at all. Right? They were they had to make soap by themselves, and that really then drove me into this direction of of social impact, sustainable development. Initially, more on the social side, um, and then bringing back the business sort of link as well as um, engaging with climate issues. Because I really think it's this bigger picture. And for me, sustainability is really people, planet and profits.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think my experiences in life have taken me on a quite similar journey to yours. So I worked in internal audit for a huge multinational in a controversial industry. And I had the opportunity to travel the world as well and experience deeply and firsthand. The plight of, of many societies, of many communities, and how innovative as well they are in coming up with solutions that are frugal. Um, and you know, I, I I've also seen how the crisis of geopolitics has sort of ravaged the environment, right? Um, and how has that that work across cultures and disciplines benefited your work on understanding and and sort of tackling complex and integrated system challenges?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I have indeed uh, worked in about 30 countries on four different continents, and that was very much by choice at the time. There wasn't this trade-off that we discussed earlier about uh, climate, at least, you know, um, your your carbon footprint in terms of flying around. So that I neglected at the time, blissfully. I was blissfully ignorant of it. Um, and I was clearly driven by this insight that, more i see the more i understand but also the more i know what i don't know yeah and um i quickly recognize that solutions or, or sort of activities actions programs projects that seem like solutions can actually um make things much worse if they're not sort of embedded in a bigger picture kind of frame just to give you an example um student because i I use this because students of mine brought this up uh, yesterday um you know the famous brand toms right the shoes Mm -hmm. right that donate a pair for each pair that you buy um and if you sort of just parachute into a developing country and you see oh there's a few children without shoes you might think okay i have a solution right but then if you zoom out and zoom out and look a bit sort of Deeper and more broad, broadly, you find that actually it's not the shoes perhaps that matter. And actually, if you give away shoes, you might destroy a local industry, right? And this is not to bash Tom's as a company, mm-hmm. because to their credit, they actually think about these issues and, and do research to understand the impact. But I, I mentioned this also because we, we we see you know a lot of talk about electric mobility at the moment, but as long as this electricity the power that you power your car with does not come from renewable sources it's not particularly sustainable and that you know leaving aside all the issues around batteries etc and so yes this 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 for me also on a personal level these trips to you know a lot of developing countries other cultures more broadly have been always very eye-opening very humbling and they have been very, extremely useful reminders of how lucky I am, how privileged I am, um, and have been therefore allowing me to really focus on what matters, uh, rather than you know whinging about this and whining about that. So, absolutely uh, important in this uh, experience. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You touched on something that I that I'd love to explore a little bit, if you don't mind. So it's it's around this this topic of transitioning to electric cars. There's so much baggage behind this transition for me because at the moment, I'm driving a car that's not fit for the future. I I know this, but at the same time, I don't want to commit another act of of, criminal injustice against the climate by purchasing a car that's going to extract more materials rather than taking my existing car and converting it. Because if I were to sell my car, someone else is gonna drive it. So I haven't solved the problem. I have not solved the problem of climate change by selling my car. So if I scrap my car, I'm wasting the asset, right? So, so for me, I wish the solution that people would be coming up with, and I, I do hope to hear from BMW soon about this, but I want them to retrofit my old car, you know? And, and I guess the question is, how, how do we tackle that? So, I mean, I
1: think you're touching on a lot of different things and some go into the direction of circularity. And actually, if you resold your car to someone who would otherwise buy a new one, right? Yes. That, that would help given that you, as long as you didn't buy a new car and perhaps went into car sharing, right? Because I think it's not so much about the car. It's about mobility. Again, sort of this need to zoom out, right? Which we also stress in the, in the the in the book a lot and look at this bigger picture. And in this case, it's mobility and seeing how we can create win-win-wins, right? For ourselves, for the planet, so for the environment, uh, the natural environment, and for people and cars are a great example because of course they pollute, right? They are, well, some people love them and think of them as very beautiful, but you know, having tons of cars sitting on our sidewalks, on our roads, right, instead of having, greenery and forests uh, in our urban environments is not particularly appealing. We've just become so used to it um, that we we don't question this. And it's, of course, what I think is interesting in terms of the electric mobility movement is that by and large, this is something where we have policy um, agreement, it's become a political force yeah so it's not one of these things um, and and so giving people an alternative um still being able to sort of to own a car if they must um is already an achievement i think yeah but it definitely does matter where this comes from and for your car personally uh i mean yeah if you could go without a car or car sharing i think that would be ideal if um your car is sort of not too old. It might actually be uh, much more um, economical and also better for the environment to continue driving it, right, for a while. If it's too old, so I have this super old car, and I'm told actually that it's it would be better to go electric to actually, you know, <laughs> sell it. Not driving um, it. Yeah. But for me, it's really about: um, do I need this car? And I hope the answer is no.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think that's a good way to reflect on it. But I do still want the manufacturers of these vehicles that are more polluting to take some sort of circular action to sort of help us, right? Hel- I would much prefer to have my car retrofitted and pay for that than to extract materials again.
1: Yeah, and that's true. I mean, with cars, cars at the moment, you can't really retrofit, right? With buildings, uh, you can do that in an economical way yeah Yeah. but of course some of the big car firms like BMW are actually also jumping on the sharing uh uh, bandwagon yeah and I think this is perhaps their the biggest contribution they can make yeah Yeah.
0: so I'm going to take a a quick pivot to the comments and just flash them through so we have some good wishes from from Shan. thank you very much Shan, and we have Isabel saying hello to both of us hi Isabel great that you joined us and Marilu is asking a question. So I'm facing the same mobility dilemma, Catherine. I sold my car and for now I am managing without. But at some point in the future, I may need a new one. And I'm not convinced about electric vehicles yet.
1: <laughs> Go for car sharing. That would be my <laughs> my, my comment, really. Yeah. And yeah. congratulations for going without a car right now. <laughs> Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. And, you know, exactly.
1: I think it's also a trend we're seeing, I mean, cities and mayors around the world, well, not yet around the world, but in some cities are really going this direction. And it's also about making cities more pleasant, uh, more sustainable, more livable for the 50 percent, right, of the world population that's already living in them.
0: Yes, exactly. And look, I think I think there's so many important things that I think people need a a space to kind of ask questions as well, because as as your book indicates, it's, it's a puzzle and it's complex and we need support. We need support to make the right decisions instead of everyone going off doing what they think is best, which might actually be causing more problems. Right. So so it's 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 an interesting debate for sure. Yeah. So let's let's talk a lot of there's a lot of well-intentioned
1: projects and companies out there and players out there. But, you know,
0: well, meaning well-intentioned doesn't always mean good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So let's move to um, a few concepts in your book that I think listeners will find fascinating. So I wanted to start with this happiness beyond GDP. And I've been following what's happening in the great reshuffle and the great pause, as as some, some people call it, um, post-COVID. And there's definitely a heightened level of interest for many, for many people to design more holistic, healthy lives and, and, and get more from their careers, more purpose from their careers. So tell us about your thoughts on how to facilitate change in the direction of happiness beyond GDP.
1: Yeah, so first of all, it's true that people care and they don't want to go back to life before COVID, right? I mean, there were quite a lot of studies on this last, year. I think about 80%. So 8-0 said that they actually um, wanted to go back to a more sort of sustainable life. Right. And I think this is partly a reflection of the pandemic having forced us to think about what makes us happy. What does um well-being mean for us as individuals, but also what does progress mean for us as societies, as, as, as countries, right? Um, and there have been um, I mean, this is not completely new. I mean, there have been a lot of um very sort of big, well-recognized institutions, global institutions, but also individual mayors again, yeah. So city governments trying to shape the target setting and policies in a way that they don't just maximize the GDP, right? Because the GDP has been the main um, indicator that we've used around the world uh, to 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 sort of indicate um, progress. Yeah, yes. that's that's the measure we have. I mean, it doesn't actually measure progress. It, it measures economic output, right? Yes. And it misses. It misses all the voluntary work that our societies depend on and it goes up when we see disasters, floods, hurricanes, forest fires, right? So it, it, it's not a measure of progress and even, you know, the guy, the economist Simon Kuznets, who invented it um, almost 100 years ago, basically said this is not about measuring societal progress, but somehow we've our mindsets are so adapted to this thinking. That, um that that it's very hard for us to, to to move out having said that a lot is happening and I think a lot of people start to to value what matters to appreciate what matters companies and NGOs, uh, but particularly also companies are st- are starting to track the social impact the environmental footprint and what's sort of the newest um and and to me also most exciting um, trend is that we're getting towards a system, we're tiptoeing towards a system where we account for costs as they truly are, which means we valuing the services the ecosystem is providing for us, right? Through wood or food or natural medicine, um, fibers, whatever, but also services like climate regulation or water filtration, right? We, We never think about this, but I'm not saying, I'm definitely not saying give these things a price, but I'm saying let's value these things, let's value clean air, yeah? air pollution kills 20,000 people a day, that's that's a sort of a tragedy, right, for individuals, for families, for, for 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 societies, but it also comes with an economic cost, yeah, and I think it's really important that we start talking about these costs more and more, um, because that's just how we think, right? We, in our our world, we we, we think in monetary terms and that's why I think translating um, negative impacts into what I call the cost of unsustainability is is, is really helpful. Um, But of course, we don't wanna communicate negatively, right? In fact, our book is very much about uh, optimism and about picking people up where they are, yeah? Not ridiculing anyone because, they have they have ignored sustainability, you know, until recently. Um, not laughing at any questions, obviously, but but also taking seriously the efforts they are making and trying to work with them to see how they can make more efforts, how could, how they can perhaps you know um, I- increase their impact. Um, and and yeah, so I think that this is partly also for people to really appreciate what they have and what they haven't thought about before, such as clean air, right? I mean, our mental health, and again, this is measurable, our measurable, our mental health improve significantly if we live in areas where there's sufficient trees, yeah? It's the same trees that sort of decrease this infamous heat island effect and make people die from excessive heat, right? But it's also a mental uh ben- mental health benefit that's really important, particularly now in 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 these times, right? When when a lot of people are uh, suffering through the pandemic.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. And I, I wanted to touch on something, and I, I didn't tell you about this before, but we'll we'll tap on it anyway, which is this idea of donut economics. So I I recently discovered Kate Rewood's work. I, I hadn't heard about it before, remarkably, even though I've been in this space for a while. And there's a lot of and following her Twitter account where you know she's building communities around trying to bring this these ideas of living within the donut to life. If you want to perhaps talk a bit about that, maybe explain the concept to my listeners as well, and and talk about your perspective on on how we can do that.
1: Yeah, so I fully agree. Kidworth um, has done great work, and and um, I think it's encouraging that her book is also really. And her ideas, her thinking have um, really sort of gathered very widespread attention. Um, so the donut essentially tries to reconcile both the environmental and the social, the global social injustice aspects of sustainability. Yeah. Yes. So keeping within the donut, yeah, we all know what a donut looks like, um, makes sure that we don't overstretch our. Um, sort of the planet services, yeah, the na- the natural environment, but we still provide sufficient um, standards of living for all people in the world, right? I mean, yes. we, that's also why, why we, we for us this is really important because we also talk called our book where the subtitle is Health, Wealth and Well-Being for All. I think this is so important, right? People like you and me, you've been to a lot of places who've seen this this enormous disparities, right? Even within one country, within one city, right? Um, I think we'll understand understand this, but not everyone has had the chance to understand this. And so um, what I like about the donut economics is that it's also a concept that's now being used by governments, including city governments. I don't know, for some reason, we keep coming back to urbanism and cities today. like berlin or amsterdam right that are really trying to use this this sort of framework because it resonates with people yeah 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 it it,
0: it is easier to grasp for sure
1: (laughs) and and so just one thing that comes to mind here is this this idea or this insight that there is there are only developing countries out there there are not any developed countries there are economically developed countries, but there aren't any countries that are where we need to be environmentally in terms of environmental protection. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Or providing sort of social justice to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think David Attenborough also said this in his famous uh, cop speech recently, which was brilliant by the way, so I recommend everyone out there to watch it seven minutes, definitely worth your time. Um, But, but, it's also about sort of you know learning from the um, um, inverted commas developing world, right? Because yes. a lot of what people in these places do um, is exactly what we need today. Think about circularity. You know, you repairing things, sharing things, not throwing them away. And, and now to come full circle with with um, Kate Worth, she also said on a finite planet there is no
0: away yeah you can't yes. throw things away yeah and that's another one i love yes absolutely no you're so right and and i think the more that we have examples of countries embracing this you, you you're right it's it's going to set a new trend as to what it really means to be an evolved society and of course, we have we have other competing things that that are coming into the sort of um, forefront now with digital transformation and you know Facebook and the Metaverse. I'm not going to ask you to answer questions about that. Don't worry. But but it's one of the things that is is now part of the the whole complexity of how we redesign better for the future. So I want to I want to pivot now to COP26, um, and there have been some commitments made. Um, around methane, around reforestation, etc. cetera. Um, but there, there have also been some some sort of cop-outs, so to speak, forgive the pun, but you know, talking about reducing coal as opposed to eliminating the use of coal um, and things like this. So I guess which agreements have been the most encouraging for you and has, has COP26 done enough, in your view, to solve the problems that we face?
1: Yeah, so um, I guess I won't give you the short or the long answer, but something in, in, the, in, in the middle. I mean, one thing I think we need to think about or consider is that before the cop, after the COP is before the COP, yeah? Yes. And there's going to be another one next year, and it's going to be in Africa, which is great, I think, Egypt, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I do think that it has served to really... Uh, get a lot of global attention. I don't think that's just me, you know, because I'm in my little biased saving the world kind of bubble. I, I do think um, there's been more attention to the COP, yeah? So, and the awareness, pressure also from civil society, uh, I think is, is key, yeah? What it hasn't done is um, really come out with this new big agreement that, everybody subscribed to yeah there's a text this is communicate that came out at the end and which included some very encouraging text around phasing out fossil fuels there was this debate phasing out phasing down but phasing out fossil fuels um and there was also um the uh the um what was it the yeah phasing out fossil fuels and then the coal that you mentioned specifically right because a coal is, is is the worst, the most polluting fossil fuel in a way. Um, but what we've seen from a governance perspective is little blocks emerging, right? So a few countries, um, you know, going for methane as now uh, another few countries for forest, etc. And I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, right? Because it could become very easy now for countries to say, well, actually... You know, China didn't sign up, so why would I need to? And that brings me, of course, to another really important point. I mean, I think one of the the face savers, if that's a word, uh, for COP was this quite last minute agreement between, or at least joint declaration uh, between um, America, so the United States and China. Yes. Because in the end, it will come down to that, right? Are they going to work together? And so I think there's a... You know, there are some promising signs, um, but yeah, we're, we're not there yet. And and finally, perhaps, because um, one of the celebrated achievements, I think, was Brazil, among others, agreeing to, to, to halt deforestation relatively soon. Um, that is great, um, but it's not going to help us that much in terms of climate change, right? I mean, forests are important for biodiversity, for livelihoods, for you know we we talked about trees already before trees in urban areas anyway and i think um yeah so we need to, we need to take everything that's come out of cop with a pinch of salt and keep in mind that these are just commitments yeah so yes. this is not implementation yet and the, be, the most beautiful policy is worth nothing if it's not implemented actually yeah actually,
0: and so you're funny,
1: yeah, so just to finish, so I think we might actually need to focus more and we see this as a trend, right? To resort to climate litigation. And that brings me back to Brazil and Bolsonaro, right? There's some action against him and companies are starting to fear that. And I think this isn't from a act from my activist heart tells me this is a this is a really good sign as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, this is this is great. So I want to close with the final question, which is actions we can all take. So what are the sort of first steps that you would recommend people take at the household level. I mean, before we actually went live, we had a conversation about, about the whole topic of travel. So I'm gonna let you take the floor in this one because for me, particularly travel is one of the one, I would call it guilty pleasures that I'd love to still have. I haven't traveled since the pandemic began, but it's something that for me has transformed my understanding of complexity. It's transformed my approach to the world. And therefore, it has been hugely beneficial. At the same time, it's wrapped up a huge carbon footprint debt.
1: I hear you. I find that really hard as well myself. I try to be principled, but I don't think I will always be able to, right? I mean, again, traveling is about mobility. Personally, I love long train rides, so I don't mind going between Vienna and Brussels for thirteen hours. Um, you know, I like how the soul travels with me. My soul travels with me, and I'm not sort of parachuting into a new place. But of course, there aren't. You know, trains are a thing in itself in Europe, and there needs to be a much more improvement. But do, but but still, do take trains. Yeah, I think a very important message. Do use public transport. Eat less meat or no meat um insulate your home yeah that's another sort of big lever lever and particularly also buy only what you love yeah even if it's more expensive invest that money invest in quality buy something you really love and you're gonna be um wanting to repair in case it breaks and that you will want to refurbish, and that you, that you will want to perhaps trade in against something else with a friend. Yeah. So this circularity, I think, is also really something you can be with. And um, I'd like to mention also that in the book, uh, the sustainability puzzle, we really we deliberately included um, sketch notes for each chapter, yeah, which summarize the main sort of the main puzzle piece, yeah, like circularity, climate action. Um, which we're now talking about. And f- in each of these sort of puzzle pieces, we tell people what they can do as individuals, what they can do, you know, in, in, as, as representatives of companies and what they can do as governments, because I think it's really important. And it's also important to for people to, to understand that no matter what they do, it can have an impact. Yeah. And it's not just about what you buy and what you do and which services you access or consume it's very much also about how you um take others with you right yeah. your friends your peers but also your colleagues the influence you have at at an organizational level yeah so lots you can do and i hope you find more inspiration right. in the book
0: I, I loved I loved your tips, particularly about buy something that you really love, even if it's expensive, and make sure it's something that you want to repair. I think that's that's my my one huge takeaway. So thank you so much for joining me today, Alice. And thanks for all of you who've listened. And do give us your comments and feedback. And do get a copy of the sustainability puzzle if you haven't already. Thanks so much for joining us today. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Catherine, and to everyone else here.
1: And do to, to keep in touch, stay in touch, get in touch. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Season 4 of Where Ideas Launch was brought to you today by Catherine Ann Biome, Business Resilience and Strategy Consulting Services. Catherine provides business assessments and strategic support to help guide your business toward a net zero future. Get in touch with Catherine Ann Biom on LinkedIn.